Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today is a psychology graduate, TEDx speaker, researcher, and entrepreneur who's looking to bring a new dimension to the field of mental health. After completing his degree, he noticed that there was a big lack in preventative care when it came to mental health and set out to tackle this issue. As a result, last year, along with his co-founders, decided to launch their own intuitive platform called YouMore, which is an app that aims to help its users measure their stress levels on a daily basis and provides them with knowledge and tools to help them improve over time. During this episode, we discussed how we can start to incorporate technology into the mental health space. He shares with us his vision for the future of YouMore and the impact he wants to make. And we talk about the importance of learning the language of mental health to be able to support ourselves and others. He believes that while there has been a progression in the awareness of mental health globally over the last few years, that it's not enough anymore and it's time to take action. His aim with his company is to help people measure the mind and democratize mental health to make it as accessible as possible to as many people. And the last message he wanted to share is to learn more about mental health to better understand yourself and the people around you. Please welcome to the show the co-founder and chief scientific officer of YouMore, Mr. Alejandro Serrano. Hey, thank you very much, Khaled. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate it. So for the people who don't know Alejandro, me and you got connected through your colleague, uh, Maria, who's one of your co-founders in your company and your app, YouMore, which we're going to dive into a little bit later. And she told me all about how you guys are trying to bring AI and technology into the mental health space, which I thought was super interesting. And you guys have a very unique approach that I don't think a lot of people are looking at right now. So I thought it'd be amazing to have you on the podcast. But before we get into all the details, Alejandro, why don't you give all of us just a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. Of course. Yeah. Well, uh, as, as you mentioned, I'm currently working on a startup alongside Maria and uh, two other co-founders. And what we're trying to do is to democratize uh, the access to mental health care through technology. What we've seen recently, especially during these uh, you know, times of COVID, is that it's difficult to access uh, doctors in person. It's difficult to access mental health care in general. It's not covered by a lot of packages when it comes to what employers give you. For students, universally counseling services have really high wait times. And we see tech as being the, the right way of trying to fill the gap in demand. So we've been working on developing a platform called Yubel that helps you to measure your stress and your mood and better understand exactly what you're feeling so that you can get some personable recommendations that are specific to you in order to see improvements within those fields. So yeah, trying to, to provide that at a low cost, but also to be something that's super easily accessible that all of us can pick up on our smartphone. Yeah, for sure, man. And I think what you got, I think what you're doing is very interesting because you're bringing tech tech into the mental health space and that that was what really interested me because in my mind I was like, how do you how do you bring the technology into that? So, walk us through. Could you walk us through what was the thinking behind you know Yumar? How did it come? How did this all come to be? Yeah, of course, um, Khaled. Have you ever heard of self quantification before? No, I haven't. Okay, nice. Okay, I love talking about this, so I'm glad <laughs> awesome. that you haven't. Yeah, um, self quantification for any of the listeners who perhaps haven't heard of it either is an idea that we ourselves can measure a lot of the behaviors, a lot of our activities on a day-to-day -day basis. And by tracking those, we can become more aware of who we are as individuals. I think the best example of this right now is what Fitbit do. Fitbit, okay. uh, the, um, the, the smartwatch, which counts all of your steps in the day. It can um, track your sleep. It can, it can track a lot. And it gives it to you through the app in a very digestible way where you have a better sense of what you've done in the day, you know, how healthy you might be, what your heart rate is. And that gives people an indication of how healthy they have been 
you know, over a week, over a month, over a year. And what we would like to do is to try and implement that same theory within the scope of mental health. So um, currently there hasn't really been much work around that. So we, we really want to also help drive and, and pioneer the research and the science behind this too. And um, the, the idea is that through the use of uh, screening questionnaires that can help us better understand mood and better understand stress of any of the users who use the app, we're going to help them become self-quantifiers. And by becoming self-quantifiers, um, we hope to empower them and through that empowerment become more able to then make um, changes through the recommendations that we give to become happier and healthier. Yeah, and the recommendations you were speaking about, that is, so the app is going to give me recommendations specific, specifically tailored to how I've been responding to my stress levels or to what I've been interested in, or walk us through how does it start giving me those kind of recommendations? Yeah, exactly. I'll give you the full story, start to yeah, finish. Yeah, uh, yeah, if I start droning on, just cut me off. But, <laughs> no, no, go um, ahead. <laughs> it all starts, um, of course, opening up the app. And what we start with is uh, a few questions, which we use to understand a baseline level of stress. And this basically just gives an idea of um, how stressed the user is, and therefore, what exercises we can later recommend. But before we give any exercises, after you've answered the stress questions, we provide you with an instant stress score. And that instant stress score, uh, what we've heard from a lot of people, is, is really validating and gives you an initial sense of how exactly you've been feeling over the past week. The questions that we ask are, you know, how you've been feeling over, over the last seven days. And um, based upon that score, we'll then offer a series of what we call recommendations or insights. They're psychological exercises that are based off of um, different yeah, scientific exercises that, that we see from psychology um, that are going to try and bring down that stress level. And that stress level can be measured at other times as well. It's, it's all about the user checking in on the app to be able to see, you know, after three days, how has that stress level changed? And what we use the recommendations for is to set a target for that stress. Like for example, let's say my stress level scored was 70%, then we'll set a target of 50, and then we'll offer all of these recommendations to try and help um, reduce that stress level. And the recommendations, these psychological exercises are always going to map on to uh, what that stress level is okay no that, that's really interesting how <clears throat> it's it's it is very based on what you're saying it is very tailored to how you're responding and how you're using the app it's going to give you the insights that you need because like like we were saying i was telling you earlier i've been using the app as well uh because i i just wanted to see what would a like a an app regarding mental health kind of look like and i think the way you described it is very very interesting that it is kind of like a fitbit tracking like my stress on a daily basis tracking to see how i feel and i've been looking at like the graphs to see and you know it just gives you i think it gave me personally a bit more insight into like you said the baseline of where i was and now it's now it's just about doing those kind of exercises and going through the day-to-day -to, -day to start making those improvements so on the concept of stress because i i watched your your talk where you were talking about that experiment that you did and the difference between anxiety and stress. And I thought that's a very good question because I think a lot of the times the two can be inter interchanged and people might associate them in the same way. So in your opinion, what do you, how would you describe the difference between anxi anxiety and stress? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And um, through Yumo, we, we try and help people um, become educated on, on both of these topics, which quite often are uh, intertwined and, and entangled in that way. I think the, the the way that I like to describe it is that 
stress is something which is more situationally dependent. Uh, stress is also, well, both stress and anxiety are very natural. Yeah, they're, they're super common. We all feel them at some point in our lives. But stress tends to be more commonly triggered through changes to our surroundings. It's uh, our, our body's way, our brain's way of, of activating the, the body's level of physical arousal to confront a challenge that, that is presented to them. And if we take the example um, in evolutionary terms, we're in the jungle and we see a patch of grass next to us that's rustling. Out from there, we might see a, a, you know, a snake jump out of us and, and that poses a threat to our own survival. So the stress level can mount to prepare us to face that challenge. But that isn't necessarily the same feeling that we might get from anxiety which um, it can be prompted by changes to our environment, but it's something that's more subtle, something that's more internal and um, is, is similar to if you have you ever forgotten your keys when you try to get back in the home and you freak out for that one instant, we're like, oh, shoot, where are my keys? And you're patting along your pockets trying to find them. That feeling sustained o- over a period of time, um, which is, is, is something more baseline, uh, is, is more similar to, to to the experience of anxiety. Uh, different constructs, which within the field of psychology, we measure differently using, using uh, different methods. Um, but both of them do have these underlining similarities and parallels, um, such as feelings of, of panic, such as feeling overwhelmed. So they are both times often um, often confounded and entangled with one another. Yeah, so, so the difference between stress and anxiety is stress from, this, from what you're saying sounds to be very situational it's very dependent for example um you know i have a lot of work i'm feeling overwhelmed i've got deadlines i went to a place maybe that i'm not familiar with you know i can feel uncomfortable but anxiety is more would you say anxiety is kind of anxiety can happen it's kind of like the it's you start worrying sometimes before something has even happened like i could be anxious about a future event yeah absolutely i think um these these challenges are different from person to person so what is one person's experience of anxiety will be completely different to the other. So I don't want to give an overriding definition that, that is going to tick everyone's boxes. Um, the difference with the two is, is yes, yeah, st- stress is something which is a lot more situationally dependent. Um, it's about the confrontation of challenges, whereas anxiety can be completely separate from the, the need to confront challenges. Um, for example, um, it, anxiety can be something which 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 stays with us, which we feel as if is is difficult to shake at times, even if there is no um, you know stressful um, situation facing us. I know there are times before where I've been anxious. I haven't really been able to explain where that anxiety is coming from, um, but but you know that you do have this feeling of underlying panic. Um, and I think if if you are feeling like you are overwhelmed and you can't tell whether you're stressed or, or you're anxious, a good starting place is to think, what is prompting this? If it can be easily explained and you can identify what a cause might be, um, I'm not saying that it's stressed, but chances are that it may be likely to be so. If it's something that is more constant and perpetual and you feel as if it is difficult to, to explain and you have felt it perhaps for a while, then again, not saying it's anxiety, but chances are it might be feelings of anxiousness. Yeah. No, 100%. I, told, I totally understand what you mean. And it was interesting, the um, the results that you guys found through that experiment that you did with mindfulness with, you know, students, students at university. And I can speak from my own personal experience. You know, I've over the last few years, I have I've been meditating consistently, but I go through phases, you know, sometimes I'm very consistent, sometimes I'm not. And 
I remember I hadn't meditated, I think, for two months in the last few weeks. I have, and it is night and day. It really is. It's, uh, after I meditate, I'm in a totally different, no matter what happens in the day, if it's, you know, something stressful, something, whatever, I might still feel it, but it doesn't bother me as much. I'm, I can handle it much better. So I was, I'm curious from the results that you found, because you guys did it for three minutes. Was, is that, is, is it about consistency or is it just about the act of actually taking that time to take a break for yourself to start, you know, to manage the daily life and the stresses of the day? Yeah, wonderful question. Meditation goes so deep. Like we, we could go down this rabbit hole for a long time, Khaled, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that you asked. Um, I don't think necessarily meditation is, is a question of quantity or, or, or quality. You know, how often you do it versus how deep you go when you do it. Um, I actually think that personally, meditation is all about self-discovery. In my experience, as I mentioned there, you know, our, our own uh, challenges to our well-being and our mental health will, will vary from person to person. And I think experiences with meditation will do the same. Um, perhaps before I, I, I get into what my thoughts on meditation are, I'll give just a background on that experiment. Yeah. And um, the idea was uh, that many students at university, they face a level of state anxiety when they're presented um, with with examinations, for example. Um, I mentioned earlier that anxiety can oftentimes be prompted by by, by challenges in your surroundings. Um, and, and that's what state anxiety is called, anxiety caused by a certain state. Um, we also have trait anxiety, which is this more internalized, stable uh, anxiety, which um, comes up necessarily with, without uh, an explanation. But we were focusing on trait anxiety specifically with this and with, within students who may face an exam or they may face a, a threatening situation. And students are one group of the population who receive very little mental health support and we were interested in seeing what the feasibility would be of a short mindfulness uh, meditation, just a three minute guided meditation where you listen to someone who helps you focus on your breath work to try and be present, to clear your mind of, of any doubts and worries. And, um, and, and then essentially gave them an inventory that measures this trait of anxiety before and after the, the meditation. And what we saw that for students who we presented this three minute meditation to, um, they had significant decreases to that level of state anxiety as compared to another group that we didn't offer any meditation to. So in terms of the feasibility of, of whether this would work within a specific student group, it seems promising. And um, I, I think there has been so much research on mindfulness because it's a bit of a craze right now. I'm sure you've spoken about it with guests before on the podcast as well, um, but rightly so, because it can be so helpful. And we take some of these elements of, of these short session mindfulness uh, meditations in you more as well, because the, the research does show that it can provide that, that burst of relief. Uh, as you mentioned yourself, um, it's like a night and day, you're able to, to more able conquer the challenges which you're faced with that day with a clearer mind and feeling more grounded. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. I, I got onto, I remember the, I used started, I found out about mindfulness and meditation like five, maybe five years ago through, I think like a lot of people through Headspace and then I moved over to Calm. And what I really liked about it was it was simple. It was short. It was very relaxing. And that's kind of how I got into the whole world of like meditation. And over the years, I've done it more and I've researched more. So I use a different thing now compared to what I used to. I do it now for 20 minutes. When I first started, I couldn't sit for like three. So, so there's been a big improvement. Um, but one thing I was thinking based on that study and the the results of it, 
the things that came out of it or what was what was successful about it is was you said three things that was minimally invasive and it helps combat uh, medication without uh, or, or without therapy it helps combat stress sorry without you know having to go to a therapist or medication and it cuts out a bad habit so and when i look at the umr app i think it's correct me if i'm wrong but this was my perception of it based on what i know is that it's, it was kind of built on those three things because you're giving you make it's simple it's not invasive it's it's very easy to use it's very intuitive and it's it's kind of helping you deal with like the daily stresses of what's going on with before or before you have to or if you need to then get go see a professional help and so on would that be right yeah absolutely as i mentioned earlier our goal with you more is to measure the mind and democratize the access to to support i should mention though that neither a short term mindfulness meditation nor the umor app alone is a substitute to therapy in any way we're not trying to put all the therapists out of their jobs you know they're the ones giving us all the research that we're basing this app off of so we love them we don't want them to go anywhere um <laughs> but it is a great helping hand and yeah. i also think that personally it's a wonderful introduction uh it's 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 there to build an awareness around what practices we can use um as a psychologist i made sure that the the exercises that we included in here the self help exercises based off of psychology are similar to the ones which uh you you do see used commonly um by by coaches by therapists but in a digestible uh short form content so yeah not not a substitute in any way um but two of those tenets i think are especially key the first of which being um that it is minimally intrusive it's something that you can pick up and do anywhere on the go part of what i think was important from that study was that uh we we saw that using just a 3 minute mindfulness meditation you can reduce that state level anxiety uh which would be brilliant say for example i would use a uh, the example of a student again but if you're just waiting to enter an examinations hall and you've got you know your your pen in one hand you've got your student id card in the other one like the quite often times people are freaking out then but if you can then also put in your headphones and in the 5 minutes you have before you can go into that exam hall you can bring down that level of tension um if if mindfulness is something which which works for you and and you respond well to and the same applies for a smartphone right we can can just clip in the the meditation um into our smartphone load up the app Uh, put on our headphones and that could helpfully uh, hopefully bring us down um but it doesn't necessarily just have to be in front of an exam hall you know it can be um you know before you you go on your first date you know it can be before you show up to work it can be before you know you turn up on a podcast maybe I should have done one to be real <laughs> cool and calm when I came on um but yeah the fact that it is minimally intrusive makes it great to help uh challenge uh, or confront the challenges that you have during the day and the second thing that you touched on was the ability to provide help without traditional medication and um while medication is is commonly used within the field of psychiatry um when when helping with mental health challenges uh, as i mentioned this isn't necessarily a substitute for it um but it is good accompaniment for times when the challenges that we're facing may be uh less severe than um those that are presented um to to psychiatrists uh, within you know a, a a clinical sense within a hospital ward for example so um oftentimes from the work that i do you know i i encounter many challenges and stresses which medication isn't really designed for you know it's 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 not there for um these sorts of of challenges that you may face however 
the the ability to do something like this, which is which is short and impactful and meaningful, will still provide you that help. So it's more of a early intervention, um, and in in being able to do it, you aren't left on your own, you know, because there is still yeah. something designed for you. Hundred percent, man, and. Like you said, um, it's not like you correctly said, it's not a substitute, but I think it's a very good compliment. And also, like you correctly said, it's it's kind of that in between. It's either, it's because some like you said, some issues like the ones, for example, that you face, the stresses that you face, you don't necessarily need to go to a therapist or you don't need, you know, me- medical help. So something like this can give you that, like just give you that little thing that you need, you know, to over- maybe have something extra- something big coming up you know just going through the program just doing it a couple of days is going to help you just be ready for that so i totally understand and i think it's a very unique position because you you address that market but you're also providing people the awareness and the tools so if they do need that help to get into you know to seek medical attention and so on so i think it's a ver- the positioning of the product is fantastic thanks um, yeah we, we really just want to be a good friend you know and yeah. a good listener asking the right questions in the same way that if you're feeling down and you have a really motivational conversation with a friend or, or a family member and you feel like, actually, yeah, you know what? I, I can do this. Uh, that's what I want you more to do for the yeah. people who use it. You know, that, that's what we're going for. Um, not a substitute in any way to, to therapy. We also make sure that on the app itself, we include the right resources to get in touch with. If that is the case, if you feel as if the capacity to cope with the challenges that you're presented with um, requires medical attention from a from a therapist or a psychiatrist. That's always there. But yeah, we we just want to be a good friend, you know. Yeah, I love the way you said it, man. Just be a good friend because that's what a good friend would do. Um, I wanted to come back to. I want to get into your TED uh, TEDx talk because I loved what the topic was about, and I really learned so much from hearing that talk. I think it was amazing. But before we get into that, where did this I guess, passion for mental health and psychology come from? Or were you always interested in this kind of stuff? Or did you go through experiences in your life that, you know, made you become passionate about this? Just walk us through, where did this all start? Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, thank you. That's that's really kind. Um, thank you for for having checked it out. Um, for, for me personally, I, I hadn't been aware of um, challenges to mental health before I was 12, um, but at 12, my my mother she was experiencing um quite a severe depression and um that depression ultimately led her to have died by suicide and it was very unexpected for for my family we didn't really see the signs coming um and and yeah it, it caught all of us off guard and since then i have really wanted to dive deep into psychology uh, I, I see it as personally my own life's mission to 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 explore this area of mental health and make sure that those early interventions are there early. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, you more is, is trying to do exactly that to provide help earlier um, so that we can cope with challenges as they arise and even before they arise. Um, so, so personally that has, has set me on the way. Um, and I really like learning, but psychology is really cool. You know, that there's a yeah. lot to it. I think um, it's one of these subjects, which, people have a general interest in I you know you you can easily have a conversation with a friend uh you know where he tells you oh I I I watched this documentary on YouTube about this crazy experiment that they did in the 60s or you know I I've heard that like you know if you speak to people in a certain way like you can come off as more friendly everyone has this general 
like general interest in psychology because it applies so much to us. But you don't see that with like maths or physics. I don't have anyone yeah. coming to you. Oh yeah, I watched a documentary on you know how they build bridges, and it was really cool <laughs> actually the engineering behind it. Um, but I was quite taken by psychology when I started studying it at university, and um, the more time I've spent learning about it. Um, I, you know, the, the more I've been able to fall in love with it. And in the grand scheme of things, I like to think that I know very little, you know, because um, there, there is just so much, so much unknowns to the human mind. And uh, it's exciting to, to be able to work in a space where you're trying to uncover those. Yeah, 100%. I, I share that, that same passion, because like I said, psychology is a very expansive field. There's so much knowledge, and there's so many studies, books, research. I mean, you could spend the rest of your life studying that and you still wouldn't understand everything because at the end of the day, people are just, it's funny how people were all wired the same way. <clears throat> yet, <clears throat> sorry. Yet we're still the most unpredictable creatures in the world. But I guess that is because we live or make decisions or live our lives based majority of the time from an emotional place. That's where our true decisions come from. And I always thought that was surprising because sometimes I think oh, I'm very logical, but <laughs> that's not the case. Um, coming on to your talk. So the talk centered all about all around the language of mental health. And I thought that was a very because because you said something in the talk, which I agree with, which is a lot of people nowadays, mental health, mental health, mental health awareness, you know, it kind of starts to lose, like, yes, that's the right, maybe the right term to use to attract the widest audience. But when, when it's being so overused, it kind of starts to lose its value as well. So that's why when you started talking about the language, I thought that's very interesting. So from your, why don't you tell all of us, why is it so important to start having like a language like mental health? Because like you said, it's like learning French or Spanish. It's an actual, there are steps, there are techniques, it's an actual language that we can all learn to start helping, you know, other people and addressing this issue. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, the idea is, is a bit interdisciplinary. It kind of brings together uh, psychology, but also linguistics and, and tries to marry the two together. Um, but I think that when we learn a foreign language, you know, wh whatever that may be, for me, I was learning French in school. They put you through lessons where you have to learn about syntax and you have to learn about grammar and the right way to conjugate verbs. And this is true for any language. All languages are the same. But it's not always the case with mental health, but I think it could be. So when we learn about mental health, we, we speak of mental health literacy, which is the knowledge that we have about our mental health, you know, how stress might work, how anxiety might work, um, you know, how you can provide yourself with this self-help. But it's, we don't really have a strategy, I think, it, when, when it comes to public health in terms of starting the conversation around mental health and also starting the, um, you know, what, what, what it is that we should learn. So I think that's why we always hear the term mental health awareness thrown about all the time. And it's been thrown about for a long time. And now is when I think we need to take a step up and move on from mental health awareness into mental health action and provide a proper plan to help us learn about not only our own mental health, but the mental health of others and how we can support them. So the idea of, of, of the language of mental health is exactly this. How, what are the grammar and the syntax to say, you know, what are the rules to learning about mental health um, and to our own mental health that we can talk about? So um, I, I talk about a few things, but one example, for example, is um, how we use um, like stigmatization in the way in which we say things to people. Um, oftentimes we use um, descriptors which attach these stigmas 
casually. I know I, I had done so before I learned about this um, and you don't really realize the impact of, of what it might mean to someone when you say it. So a classic example um, is to say, um, you know, self-harmers, to, to imagine that there is this category of people who self-harm. And when you say that, you're kind of implying that it's within their identity. You know, you are a self-harmer mm. or you are a schizophrenic. And that's that. It, it seems as if there's no area for growth. But if you have a mental health disorder or you're facing mental health challenges, no matter how big or small, all of them can be can be supported. You know, so it's 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 almost backwards to, to think that that identity is, is there to stick with you for life. And that's why we can change part of how we use this language to say rather self-harmers or schizophrenics, people who have self-harmed or you know, people who experience schizophrenia, because there can come a time where your experiences of schizophrenia can diminish. There can come a time where you no longer self-harm. And I think it's important to, yeah, to see people that way as, as beings who are able to grow and evolve and, and overcome these challenges rather than people who are you know, eternally having, having to struggle with them. Yeah, 100%, man. And I think uh, you said it perfectly that when we use those kind of descriptors and those kind of labels, those kind of words, we don't know what the imp how a person, for example, that is experiencing a certain issue like that is going to take that in and how is that going to affect their mental health? Because you're kind of giving them, you're forcing almost ownership of their condition onto them. But it's But what you're saying is start addressing it as you, not you are a self-harmer, you have like there you start addressing it as you address the issue not the person and i think that's a very crucial distinction to make also what you said was which i thought was very interesting that i know i've done this many times is if someone's struggling with mental health the question that i'd always be like i'd always say is what's wrong and and what, what you said is change that to what has happened and it's a complete it's it's a completely the person's going to take that in a completely different way because me saying what's wrong, I'm, I'm um, implying, oh, there's something you know wrong with you. This year, like, and you don't know how that's going to play in the person's head. But in terms of the, so I looked at the four steps, and I was trying to. So there was just for the people who haven't seen the talk, guys. By the way, if you haven't, please go watch it. It's fantastic. Um, uh, listening, then there's accuracy and stigma, and then is noticing uh, if someone is in trouble. And then it's keeping support close to us. Now, listening, I could understand. Accuracy, I could understand. And keeping support close, understand. But the one I think I find, I would find most challenging, and I think a lot of people find most challenging, is noticing if someone is at risk. So, how do we, how do we start being, I guess, paying more attention to that? Because you can look, I've I've seen in my experience, you speak to someone, you know, they seem fine, they might seem a bit, you know, off, but you would never think that, for example, they would be ex going through depression or going through something that significant that you would have no idea about. Yeah, it it seems tricky, doesn't it, to, to, to be able to have this sixth sense yeah. about us to be able to pick up on that. The good news is that that sixth sense doesn't exist, you know, otherwise there would be categories of people who are born to be therapists and categories who are never born to be, but anyone can train as a therapist. And um, from the point of view of, of the talk that I was giving, um, it was about language. And, and this is why I, I think as a whole language around mental health can help center this, you know, public health strategy to, to take us from mental health awareness to mental health action and learn about it, because we can learn a lot about what someone is feeling or what they're experiencing by the questions that we ask and the language that we use to address that. Um, you, you mentioned that it's good to ask people 
what has happened, you know, rather than what's the problem, because already that carries connotations of, of negativity that you might not want to talk about. And by asking these right questions, that's how I think that, you know, that, that we can know um, when we have to, to reach out to someone to provide support. There's also a lot of non-language based approaches to do the same, you know, like if they have not been on social media for a long time and you might expect them to do so, if they are not coming to the socials which you have at work, for example, for a while, there are indicators, and this will 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 vary for you know, of each of the mental health challenges that that you can face. Um, but I think when it does come down to language, the most important thing that we can do to become aware of this is to ask open questions, and open questions that aren't leading in any way. Um, and and actually, I, I think a big part of this is detaching oneself from the ego not coming in with any preconceived notions of of what you think is, is is going on with the person that you're trying to speak to or ask any questions that you think will give you the right answer to know how you can help it's about them you know um i also in, in the talk um talk about active listening and and i think that technique is is one of the same with this active listening is all about how we can speak in a particular way with the people we're having conversations with to make them feel validated and to make them feel as if they can talk about the topics that they wish. So through a combination of showing that you're there to listening and giving open questions, not being led by our own ego or our own thoughts to, to try and, and find something out that we want to know, but just listening to, to, to them and, and from the emotion that they convey and also um, the content of what they say, pick up from there what seems to be very important for them and, and just talk because talking is, is the first step to, to recovery and it helps us learn an awful lot about not only our own mental health challenges, but the mental health mm -hmm. challenges of others. Yeah, and I think you made a crucial point about detaching yourself from the ego. It's not about you kind of leading, leading, leading the questions, but like it's not about you trying to get the answer that you want or that you think is there. It's about really just being fully present and focusing on the person what is it that they need what is the questions that is going to maybe give them um, an insight into what they're going through that maybe they haven't considered before what do you think what do you say about this because it's something that i think i i have struggled with myself you want there's someone that is struggling with something and they have They've gone to therapy, they've done a couple of things and they still and, you know, you worked with them and you've done a lot to like help them. But it, it gets to a point that you can help them as much as you want, but I guess like they kind of have to like if they really want to like change and like become a new person or, you know, break free of whatever they're struggling with, they have to start helping themselves as well. But sometimes I've no I've seen that that can be very difficult. So what do you do when? How can you help someone that is not helping themselves anymore? Hmm. I think um, the the beautiful thing the beautiful thing about help is that it can't be taken away from you, because it can come from others or it can come from the self. So either or, help is always available. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter um, who is responsible for it. Um, and when it comes within the context of, of mental health, because help can be supplied in, in any area of our lives, but within the context of, of mental health, it's important to have help on both sides, um, depending on the, the severity of the challenge that we might be experiencing. You know, there will be times where help is needed um, from loved ones, from 
uh, clinicians, therapists, oftentimes the perfect amount of help that we feel that we need comes in the form of an app as well, you know? So um, I think the, the first thing to identify that's very important is um, what sort of help, you know, because there, there is just so much, you know, of, of it out there. Um, and it's about finding the right, the right sort of help. Specifically, I think you were asking though about the self, you know, what comes out from within to be able to, to confront this. Um, yeah. and, and this is difficult because depending on the mental health challenge, um, you might see low self-esteem, feelings of hopelessness, low motivation, which may often get in the way of that. Um, and there are a series of um, psychological exercise, you know, self-help techniques that can help bring uh, a person out of this. And they will vary person to person. I think that's been a common theme through the things that we've been talking about. Mental health is like a fingerprint. It, it is, you know, we have over hundred billion neurons in the brain, no one's brain is the same. So yeah. this will always depend on what works best for you. Um, but, but there are exercises out there. There is mindfulness, you know, how meditations can help us feel grounded and, and quell anxieties. There is cognitive behavioral therapy exercises, which are all about understanding our thoughts, stopping the negative cyclical thoughts that might not necessarily be a true reflection of the reality which, which we are living in. Um, there is progressive muscle relaxations, which are there to bring physiologically the body down to a state of calmness because the mind and the body share a very close relationship in that way. So um, it's when, when, when the self needs to find help, I think the, the, the first thing to do is to, to explore, to be curious, um, to, to, to not see the world as a threatening place, um, but as, as a place that, that might have answers yet to be uncovered and exploring what are the different types of support that, that you can find, finding that one from you and then, and then embracing it and, and, and working on it like it's personal development on our end. Yeah, and like you said, there is this, number one is to go out and explore and because like you said, there's endless ways that you can be helped. There's different types of therapies. There is, you know, the simple things you can do. There's so much there that I think it can also be, it could feel overwhelming sometimes because you don't have a clear direction of which one would work for you. So I guess, you know, trial and error is how you'd get there. But what I've learned or what I've seen in my experience is like working with some people that I think it's important that the person who is exploring and trying and doing all of these things has a very clear idea or definition of what does it feel like what me what does me without this problem feel like because I think sometimes people can go to therapy people can do all that can do all this really good stuff but they can feel like oh it didn't it didn't work I still feel like I'm the same person and they don't see that maybe not maybe didn't cured the issue but it did help them in some way but at the same time they don't really know what that end goal looks like so what what do you think what would you say yeah I think we're, we're sort of hardwired to be myopic you know like we, we, we are unable to see the future unless we're like catastrophizing we really imagine the worst case scenario of yeah. what's going on you know um, that's what CBT is good for to help stop some of those negative thoughts but um, it, it it is hard um, mental health I, I see it as a journey. It's not necessarily like um, problem solution. You know, it's, it's it's a journey. And I think mental health and personal development are, are very interlinked. Um, you know, the changes that we make to ourselves um, and our mental health can help our personal development. The changes that we make through personal development, I think is also capable of helping our mental health. You know, they, they share a, a very close relationship that way. Um, so working on the self is always a good thing. <laughs> I, I 100%. Think. Um, yeah, absolutely. And 
I wanted to come on to uh, the because I like what you said in your talk about the difference between preventative care and reactive care. And uh, so, for example, preventative would be something like your app uh, with you more and reactive would be now where now there's an issue. We need to like we need a therapist, we need medical attention. So what would you say at the moment in the world right now? What are we lacking the most? Is it the preventative care or is it the reactive? We're, we're lacking both quite severely. Um, okay. I think, Interesting. in my opinion, the greatest scope to make an impact lies within preventative care. Uh, and that's because okay. um, it's, it's like chicken and egg in a way. You know, if, if, we, can, right. if we can provide the, the right support, you know, the, the right public health interventions in the preventative side of things, then we can stop uh, a lot of cases progressing to, you know, uh, more severe expressions of a mental health challenge if they're left, uh, you know, unattended, if they um, can have distress build up over time. So, yeah, I think as a whole, these preventative measures across the board are going to be most helpful. Um, and, and that's where I think the advent of technology and also the advent of AI coming within the next few years, is going to be huge for this. Um, part of what we're centering our mission uh, for you more around as well. But if we can provide the preventative um, scope there in being able to measure stress to measure mood you know measure different challenges to people's well-being and then from there understand exactly what is needed exactly the right exercises which someone responds well to and then provide those and then build a habit around this i think it would make it much easier to um yeah confront um any future distress um and and um challenges to mental health in this way which yeah should, should make things easier down the road yeah and like you said, it is kind of like that chicken and the egg. Like we, you need, you do need both. But I guess the preventative side is the the starting point before you get to, get to that side. And hopefully, if there's more preventive preventative protocols in place, you know, both at home, university, at schools, like in all, all fabrics of like society, it will help us, you know, further down the line. But on the AI point. What would you say? Because I'm sure there's some people that would feel like because mental health, I. I think is quite a personal thing. If you're struggling with something with mental health, it's quite personal. So I think like, I think some people would say like, how does, does the AI truly understand, you know, how I feel? Sometimes you need like a therapist or like a person to really feel that all oh, this, this understands me. So what would you say to that? AI is, is kind of like the term mental health awareness. You know, it's a buzzword that's being flinged around for so far. It's starting to lose a bit of meaning. So we need to focus first on the right kind of AI. Okay. And um, the AI that, that we want to develop is going to be centered around personalizing which exercises are best suited to, um, you know, the, the emotions and the feelings that, that someone has themselves, you know. So from what we can learn from, from measuring the mind, what's important, I think, is to build a lot of understanding, you know, a, a, a huge, um, you know, scientific database of which recommendations that we are able to offer. You know, if we could map them all out, I'm, I'm talking a whiteboard that is like the size of the MENA region, you know, and if we can start drawing, you know, we have this intervention here and, and this psychological exercise here and this self-care um, strategy here, and we can map all of those out and then match them through, um, you know, what we learn from, from many people responding well to certain ones with a certain level of stress, you know, or feeling a certain mood, 
we can for future um for, for the future and future generations as well start building up, up, up an understanding of, of how these match together and ai will only help us accelerate that process but only if it's managed well and um yeah, thankfully, our technical co-founder um, will, will surely do a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And like you said, I think it's the the way it plays in is that it's very data driven. You know, this emotion, what are the three exercises? And you can like kind of plan it out based on that. And it helps, you know, I guess that's where the in, how it becomes more intuitive, you know, in the long run as more people use it, more data is gathered, and then it can be a lot more targeted uh, as time goes on. I think this ties in nicely to what we're talking about in terms of preventative support. Yeah. The, the upstream solutions are the one which I think we need to focus on, on supporting because the more people that we're able to offer lifelines at the very beginning of that flow down the river, um, the, yeah, the, the, the more people, statistically speaking, we're going to be able to support. Yeah. Um, and thanks for sharing that metaphor, man. When I heard it, I'm like, it's, it says it perfectly. And especially with upstream and downstream really helps, I think, a lot of people get a much clearer picture of why it's like you know why it is like that and how and i think a crucial thing that you said that you just said was we are all susceptible to it and i think that is something that is still lacking in like in i guess in the global perspective you know i think mental health still has even i think it's improved a lot and where things are going it's gonna in the long run i think will be okay but some people still don't think that i you know, we they go through mental health challenges themselves because I think when they think about mental health, they think of something quite like, like depression, like anxiety, something quite severe. But it, mental health is just your daily, your daily, your daily thoughts, your daily happiness, your daily stress. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess how do we begin to how do we make people realize that you know we're all we're all in the same boat? We're all in the same boat here. We're just at, I guess different points in the river. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it there, Kelly. We're all in the same boat. Um, mental health is very much like a continuum. There's no, I think because we tend to, and again, through our language, see mental health as an extension of our identity, you know, like, you know, a person is depressed or a person is, you know, has anxiety, a person has schizophrenia. We, we, we don't see that it's, it's a continuum. It comes and it goes it might present itself when challenges arrive, you know, it might go when, when we're, you know, we're more optimistic about ourselves in the future, but it's always there at some point. And I've been there. Like I, I remember when I was studying psychology at university, I had not experienced any, any significant mental health challenges and thought that, you know, maybe some people are more susceptible than others, but I think a, a big part, well, life is very unpredictable. Um, but a big part of this is yeah is 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 not knowing uh, what what challenges you know may 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 trigger that. I mean, I mentioned earlier that I've been anxious during this pandemic for you know the first time in in my life. I thought it wasn't going to be something I experienced, and it was something that inevitably yeah. I, I experienced. Um, so yeah, it's it's important to see mental health as not being a categoric yes or no. You have it or you don't, but a continuum. Like where is my mental health at today? You know, what is my mood? What is my feelings? Am I am I overthinking things a lot? Am I not overthinking things a lot? It's always going to change, but it's always it's always there, and that's okay. You know, it's the same for all of us. It's we each have our own fingerprint, and it's completely natural. A hundred percent, man. I totally agree. And I think you said it perfectly. Uh, I hundred to have two more questions for you. So, and these are questions I ask all my guests. Like you, looking back over the last few years, you know, with you more, with all the research that you've done, Alejandro, and like your interest in psychology and so on, and your own your own journey yourself. What are you most proud of? I think um, 
the, the thing which I've most been pleased with is 1000% the responses we've had from people using the Umore app. Um, one thing which, which we really tried to do is have an open dialogue with users to really understand what they're benefiting from and what they'd like to see on the app as well. It's, it's really important, I think, um, not just for a mental health startup, but for any organization to do that, to really listen to the people you're trying to help. And um, some of the testimonials that we've had in terms of what the product has done for them uh, has been really fulfilling to be able to hear um, you know, people telling us that this has helped them better understand themselves from others saying that this is something that they wish they had five years ago. You know, it's, it's great to see that when, when you apply yourself to, to something and you, and you want to build something that is going to solve problems for someone, in our case, for, for helping with mental health, um, it, it's really amazing to see people respond to you positively. So I could only help for, the, for that to continue within the next two years. And fingers crossed with some, some good growth, we'll, we'll see that with more and more people that we're able to help. Yeah, 100%, man. And congratulations. And the feeling of, especially like, I think, like you said, if you apply yourself to anything and getting that like positive feedback when you know, and you know, you've done, you know, a good job. But I think particularly in this field is you're helping people literally understand themselves you know transform their lives their beliefs their perspectives and like hopefully cure not cure but get them start put them on the road to start you know becoming that new person that they want to do free of this problem so you know that exactly exactly to support man there you go again to be a friend indeed and uh for my last question alejandro what is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today you've asked some really terrific questions Khaled. so i think there's a lot <laughs> which we could fish out from our conversation and relay more eloquently. Um, but in fear of not relaying that as eloquently, perhaps as is merited for the end of a show, um, I think the most important thing is to learn more about mental health because we don't really know much about it as a whole. Um, you know, that we are still very early days learning about how the brain works. There's a lot ahead of us, um, but there's a lot that we can do about understanding how our own brains work and how the brains of our loved ones work. And, you know, through appropriate language, through understanding what support mechanisms are out there for us to engage with, you know, whether they be public health services or whether they be apps, you knowing how we can ask good questions to people, you know, that there is really a lot out there. And we live, in, in my opinion, in like just the greatest age of all time, even though there is a global pandemic spreading its way across the world right now, we have the internet and you can learn anything you want on the internet, you know? Um, so there is a lot to get in there. There's so many fantastic websites or charities that provide really great information on mental health. Um, I know you've done a few podcasts before on mental health, so that's also a good starting point and hope it helps. Um, but yeah, there really is so much out there. So don't be afraid to do a quick Google search, to pick up a book, to listen to a podcast because you know that there's, there's so much to learn. Yeah, 100%, man. And I think that's a beautiful message to end on to just, you know, just be curious and to learn about mental health, even if not for, I think when you learn about mental health, whether you think you're experiencing something or not, that knowledge potentially could help you become more aware of someone else and help them in whatever they're going through. So if the more people that learn, the more awareness there is, and hopefully the better we'll be able to help people in the future.
So exactly. I totally agree. You can only hope it helps, eh? There we go. <laughs> exactly. Alejandro, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've really learned so much from you and your talk. Guys, if you haven't watched the talk, go watch his TED Talk. It's fantastic. Uh, it goes into much more detail about some of the things we talked about. But And best of luck with you, more man. I've, I will still continue to use the app and I'll keep giving you feedback, uh, whatever you guys need. But yeah, man, just thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you. And thanks for downloading the, the Umor app on the Google Play Store. <laughs> Anytime, man. My pleasure. Guys, to everyone listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.